And I'll tell you, as I have thought about this message, it is the scriptures I'm going to share with you today. I've really, really done some deep soul searching in my own heart, and I pray as a result of this series, you're going to do some searching of your own in your own life as well. Perfection. A perfect man meets the perfect woman, and after the perfect courtship, they have a perfect wedding, and their life together is perfect. One year, just before Easter, they see a beautiful rabbit hopping along the highway. It's the Easter bunny bringing colored eggs to all the boys and girls. And while they are thinking, this is such a perfect event, we're the perfect couple seeing the perfect Easter bunny on such a perfect day, a terrible tornado comes and smashes into the perfect couple and the Easter bunny as well. Only one of the three, the perfect man, the perfect woman, and the perfect Easter bunny survived. And who was it? Well, you all know the answer to that question because there's only one of these characters that really exist, and that's the perfect woman. (laughs) Mel Green says, a woman worries about the future until she gets a husband. A man never worries about the future until he gets a wife. To be happy with a man, you must understand him a lot and love him a little. To be happy with a woman, you must love her a lot and try not to understand her at all. I didn't write these. I'm just reading them to you. Any married man should forget his mistakes. There's no use in two people remembering the same thing. (laughs) A woman has the last word in any argument. Anything a man says after that is the beginning of a new argument. And there are two times when a man doesn't understand a woman before marriage and after marriage. I think we all want the perfect marriage, the perfect life, the perfect church, the perfect job. We, ever, we all want something perfect. Pastor Corey read to you the conclusion of a powerful sermon that Jesus preached in Matthew chapter 5. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. And those words that he shared at the very end of that message, that be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect, those were intimidating words to me, and to a great degree they still are. I remember as a young man I would read those scriptures, I would highlight them in my old King James Version of the Bible, I'd talk to my pastor, I'd talk to my parents, and never be perfect. And of course I was always told God doesn't expect you to be perfect. God just expects you to be faithful and, you know, ask God to forgive you of your sins. But there those words stood out in boxcar sized letters to me. And they were intimidating. Be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. How many of you would be honest with me and say, boy, when I've read those words, they've been intimidating to me as well. Could I see your hand this morning? Sure. I think most every sincere, passionate follower of Christ has looked at that passage of Scripture and gone, wow, this is hopeless. How could I ever hope to be as perfect as God? I remember when I was studying Greek, I spent two years, I had to learn to transliterate and translate and write a book, one of the epistles, or excuse me, one of the gospels, had to translate it from Greek. And I can remember working on Matthew 5 and coming to this word teleos. It's the word for perfect. And the word doesn't mean have the same implications. Now let me say that carefully. Listen to the word implications. The word doesn't have the same implications as our English word perfect. And so it's, it's important to understand that. The word is a functional word according to William Barclay. Some of you that are Bible scholars or you've heard of William Barclay. The word is a functional word according to most of the accurate Greek dictionaries. In other words, to be perfect 
as God is perfect means we fulfill the purposes for which God created us for. Sometimes when I'm teaching Discovering Woodland and we deal with this passage of Scripture, I will take a, an empty Bic ink pen, the cheap pen, you know, the one that kind of skips when you're writing, but it fulfills its purpose when you write with a pen. It's teleos. It's fulfilling the purpose for which it was created. And so I will take that pen out of my pocket and I will begin to write with it. And then I'll take a pen that I know is good and dry. I mean, there's no more ink left in it. And I will try to write with it, and it's not teleos. It's not perfect. It's not doing what it should do. I will take sometimes a big lighter, and I will light the end of that pen. You remember, if you're my age, if you're a baby boomer, you remember the old big commercials where they would put the ink pen into the fire, and the fire would begin to write. It was a little bit of deceptive advertising because it's the fire that heats up the ink and gets it flowing again so that it would write. But this pen, even after going through the fire, won't write. So I'll hold up my cheap pen that skips, but it fulfills its purpose. It's not flawless. It's not like using a nice fountain pen or an expensive pen, say like a, the only one I can think of is a Montblanc. I know that's an expensive pen. But the big pen, are they still 19 cents? Tells you how much I shop. But the 19 cent Bic pen does just as good a, well, maybe not just as good a job, but is just as legible as a $500 or $1,000 gold-plated ink pen would do. It's teleos. It's fulfilling the purpose. You and I will never be God. You and I will never be as perfect as God. But we can fulfill the purposes of God in our lives in this imperfect world in which we live in. And to me, that's extremely encouraging. Can you say amen to that? I mean, that's just encouraging to me. I will never be flawless. But now that I've said all of that, it's important because Jesus is taking a passage from the Old Testament that Peter will later quote in his epistles where God says, be holy as I am holy. So I think the whole progression of what Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount is that daily we seek to grow in grace. Daily we seek to grow in holiness and we seek to become like God. In other words, as much as possible, as much as possible, I want to become more Christ-like. Our mission statement at Woodland is celebrating God's love. And if you know it, finish it with me, by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. Well, we can never create what we're not. I mean, if we want to persuade people to be passionate followers of Christ, then obviously we can't be people that just sit on the church pews on Sunday. We can't be people who come and listen and observe and then go home and criticize. We have to be people who get involved. We have to be people who serve. We have to be people who, who live as close to Christ as possible through the help and the aid of the Holy Spirit. For me, I find myself oftentimes praying, especially over the Christmas break. I found myself praying, God, I thank you as I was getting ready and thinking about this Sunday morning with you. That Lord, my works of righteousness, my works of kindness, uh, serving you Lord, even living a holy life, even living a perfect life, a teleos life, not a flawless life. All you got to do is live with me or talk to my, well don't talk to my wife, talk to my children. They'll tell you the honest unvarnished truth, you know. That I'm not a flawless man. 
But even to be a teleos man, a man seeking to be like Christ, it is not by might, it is not by power, it is not by willpower, it is not by discipline, it is by my Spirit, saith the Lord. And I'm so glad that God never gives up on a one of us, aren't you? God never, never gives up on any of us. So as we talk about this this morning, I want us to think for a few minutes, our Heavenly Father is perfect. He's perfect in power. He's perfect in peace. He's perfect in knowledge and wisdom. He's flawless. God is flawless. I used a word in our Christmas Eve service that I wanted you to remember. I used it the Sunday before the Christmas Eve service, and that was subsistence. And that's a 25-cent word that just simply means that God needed no help to exist outside of Himself. You and I, we needed the help of parents to bring us into this world. God needed your parents' DNA. You are not an accident. Somebody say amen. Your parents may have told you were an accident. You may be someone that was adopted and you were an accident, but you are not an accident. God needed you right where you're at. God is a flawless God and God brought your life into this world and into this existence, but you serve a flawless God in perfect power, love, and peace, and wisdom. And I could go on with all of those attributes of God that we call immutable, which means that we can't duplicate them. They can't be copied because God subsists on nothing. God is God. And that's the reason the scriptures tell us that great is the mystery of godliness. I love Psalms 147 in verse 5, especially from the message translation. Read this out loud with me this morning if you would. Our Lord is great with limitless strength and will never comprehend what he knows and does. Our Lord is great with limitless strength. Now think about that. Limitless strength. My boys and I were talking over the Christmas holidays years ago. Does anybody remember a Toyota Supra? I had a, and I know I shouldn't say that in Detroit, but that was before I moved here and had my eyes opened up, okay? So when I lived in South Georgia, I had a Toyota Supra, and I was so proud of it. And my daddy came to see me, and my daddy never did grow up. That's why he was so much fun. And we were on the Lakeland Highway, and finally at 120 miles an hour, I said, Daddy, please slow down. You're scaring me spitless. And daddy was laughing like he was high on drugs, and he never was on anything like that. And finally he backed down, and I I breathed a little easier and that's why I'm here to preach the gospel today is because daddy backed down but we were laughing and talking about cars and muscle cars and yet there's a limit even to the most powerful muscle cars there's a limit to the most powerful rockets and missiles there's a limit to the power of the most powerful volcanoes that erupt you need to understand something this morning, that God is subsistent. He exists on nothing. He needs no power source. He needs no energy source. He needs no ever-ready battery. God is God, and this God is perfect in wisdom and understanding and power. And thank God, He loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son in the world to save us from our sins. This is the perfect God that we serve. This is the perfect God that has revealed Himself to us. This is the perfect God who created us and called us to Himself. So I just have a little bit of time this morning, but we'll explore more of this every week. But first of all, it's important to know that God is perfect in love. And I think sometimes we need to come back and remind ourselves of 
what love really is and what love means. Because in a modern day world, when I go to Hallmark or when I Google up the word love online, I come up with cutesy little hearts, cutesy little kittens. I come up with unicorns and rainbows. That's not what love is. If you've had a teenager and you still love your teenager, you know what love is. Love is hard. Somebody say amen. Love is sacrifice. Somebody say amen. Love is your kids having better clothes than you're wearing today. Love is sending your kids to get a better education than you got. Love is sacrifice. Love is loving despite rebellion. Hmm? If you've raised a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. Yesterday was my first niece's daughter's 13th birthday. She's my oldest great niece. And, and yesterday she turned 13 years old. Kim called me, my sister, and she said, I looked at Jennifer. They went to Disney World for her birthday yesterday. She said, I looked at Jennifer and I said, Jennifer, it's great that you were a good girl because the Bible says you're going to reap what you sow. Kim said she then looked at Ryan, Jennifer's husband, whom I love very much, and she looked at Ryan and she says, Ryan, were you a good boy? Ryan's head dropped down just like this. Those passages of Scripture that challenge us and caress us, that, that God says you're going to reap what you sow. You see, when you're loving that teenager, when you're loving them despite their rebellion, when you're building boundaries around them, you're learning, you're showing them, and they're learning what real love is. Love isn't your caving into their temper tantrum. Love isn't your caving into their every demand and wish. Love isn't being an indulgent parent, but sometimes a correcting parent who loves a child child and disciplines. Lennon Cohen had some good lyrics in that song, Hallelujah, because love sometimes, unlike the Hallelujah we sang this morning, it's a broken Hallelujah as we learn to love unlovable people who are valuable people and treasured people and love people by God and by us even when they're unlovable. If you want to understand love, then you have to look at Calvary because it was there that God gave His Son to die for your sins and my sins when we were enemies of God, when we were rebellious against God, when we took His name in vain, when we blasphemed His name. Sometimes when we sinned in ways that we wish we could forget, we wish we could forget high school sins and college sins. We wish we could forget the awful things we said. But God was there. He saw it. He knew it. And even while you were His enemy, God loved you and God sent His Son and Jesus spilt His blood on the floor for you and me. Sir, you do not understand love in the backseat of a car or in a cheap hotel room. You don't understand love until there's blood on the floor. And when you look at Calvary, you see the blood of Jesus lying on the ground for you and me when we were our most unlovable. Somebody give him a hand of praise this morning. That's how God loves. Sometimes when I hear people talking about for love being easy and love being forgetful, love meaning you're never having to say you're sorry, I realize those people have never had to love. Those people have never understood what I just shared with you. You've got to have blood on the floor before you know what it really means to love. A couple said to me a number of years ago while Becky and I were still living in Georgia, said, we've never had an argument. We've never had a crossword together. 
And later, as I got to know the man better, I found out he never really shared anything with his wife. He never really entered into any deep intimacy with his wife. Friends, you don't know love until blood has been spilled. And next Sunday, when we are here taking communion together, I want you to gaze upon that cup. I want you to pause before you drink it and not drink it as a ritual and not drink it just as a habit, but I want you to pause and remember the words of this preacher today. You are seeing the blood of Jesus that was put on the floor when you and I were our most unlovable. God loved us. And as Jesus was hanging on that cross, He says, Father, forgive them. I am so grateful for the perfect love of God. The perfect love of God. Look at this passage with me from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 15. All, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in His love. Would you circle that phrase, we have put our trust in His love in your outline this morning? Or if you're on the app, I I don't know how you can do it, but just remember it. God is love and all who live in love live in God. And God, perfect love, God lives in them. Now stop and think about that. Perfect love, God lives in us. And as we live in God, Our love grows more perfect. More teleos. Look at your neighbor this this morning and say, I'm growing in love. If you don't know him, maybe you shouldn't do that. That might be creepy. But just look at your neighbor and say, I'm growing in love. Mark Wilson, I'm growing in love. I'm growing. You're growing in love. Look at this. Our love grows more what? Perfect. Oh, you can say it. Let's say it together. Our love grows more perfect. Now, now don't raise your hands because I get these little messages and cards. I get these little messages and email. People will tell me, see, Pastor, we got into the biggest argument of the week on our way to church this morning. And maybe you got in an argument on your way to church. Sometimes they tell me, Pastor, we were having lunch and I said something I shouldn't have said and I, I felt it coming out and I was crying and it just wouldn't stay in there. It just came out and... After church, it was like the devil came into our home. And I go, you know what? We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But love, God is perfect in love. We understand. We forgive. Our love grows more perfect. So we will not, look at this, is important. We will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus. Say that with me. We live like Jesus. Say it again. We live like Jesus, not in heaven, not in church, but here in this this imperfect world. We imperfect people serve a perfect God in an imperfect world and we're growing in perfection each and every day. And we will never obtain perfection. That's called perfectionism. We will never obtain that, but more and more we'll grow to be like Jesus Christ. And if that thrills you this morning, somebody say a broken hallelujah this morning. I mean, that's what God is doing in us. God is also perfect in power. God is perfect in His power in our lives. Oh, I love the demonstrations of power that I see when a rocket lifts off. And if you've never been to Florida and watched the liftoff of a rocket and that fireball that takes place, one of my buddies, Vince Manasso, who was the youngest astronaut in training 
flew the F-16s when they first came out. And one night, Vincent, I was out at the, at the air base, and Vincent took off and went straight up after burners burning, balls of fire coming out of night out of that jet engine. And I was just in awe watching that. And I remember later telling Vince, oh, it's just a one-seater plane. I got to sit on it. You know, you just straddled a rocket is all it is. And I was sitting in it. I said, oh, Vince, I would have loved to go up. And he says, Pastor, you would have puked all over yourself if I'd have done that. You see, sometimes you can't handle the truth. Sometimes you can't handle the power. But understand this, God who is perfect in power, He manifests His power not best in my strength, but He manifests His power best in my weakness. My grace is enough for you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. My grace is enough for you. When you are weak, my power is made Say it again, it's made perfect in you. So I am very happy to brag about my weaknesses. Then Christ's power can live in me. Well, most people, if we're honest, we try to hide our weaknesses. We try to cover up our imperfections. If you're an employer, you hire around your weaknesses. You want people who are stronger than you are in certain areas. If you're a wise employer, you're, you're looking for people who can help you. We all know the story of Achilles' heel. But here's the deal. God is saying, don't be ashamed of your weakness. Grow in Christ-likeness. Grow in the power and the grace of God. But understand this. God is not most glorified in where you're strong, in your talents or your giftings. God is not most glorified there. If you're an eloquent singer, God is not most glorified when you're holding a microphone and you're singing and we all applaud your talents. If you're a gifted speaker, we're not all, God is not most glorified when you're speaking. If you're somehow another a gifted athlete and, and you can pass a perfect 75-yard spiral or you can kick a 50-yard field goal or you watch the Georgia Bulldogs beat the Baptist Baylor team, you know. It was just so much fun to keep chanting, beat the Baptist New Year's, you know. I digress. That was not the anointing. Close to it, but not the anointing. God is most glorified in your weaknesses, those things that you're ashamed of or you're trying to improve upon. Friends, don't ever forget what the Scripture says. When God says He is perfect in power, God's power is made perfect in your life in the area where you're the weakest. I think part of the problem is our modern day world, we've tried to recreate God in our image. We've tried to make God like us. God came down to earth in Christ. The Christ that was born in the manger is the Christ that suffered for our sins at Calvary and died. It's the Christ that was resurrected on the third day. It's the Christ that ascended into heaven. It's the Christ that's returning in power one day. And you and I will stand before Him on judgment day, not in fear and trembling, but in love and thanksgiving that God's perfect power has been made manifest for us in Him. That's the day I'm looking forward to. You see, in trying to make Christ or make God in our image, violating the commandments to have no graven images, we've created a humanistic idol. And so therefore, because we are weak and we are flawed, God has become weak and are flawed. I would remind you, and even though I enjoyed and loved and felt like it was a word from the Lord for our church 
on Christmas lights for the entire month of December as we looked at red being the color of danger and why Christ came into this world to save us from our sins as we looked at amber as being the color of a fresh start and I could go back through and list all of those colors and I hope you remember them as well when you look at blue the color of the earth when you look at green the color of life as I looked at all those colors remember this when you look at these beautiful lights on the platform or the lights in the ceiling this morning remember we're only toying with light for when God's presence was manifested in Mount Sinai the mountain shook with fire and smoke and lightning bolts that came from the very presence of God it's the reason the scripture says no man can look upon the face of God and live he is an all holy all powerful almighty God I read in a science magazine a few years ago, if we could harness the electricity out of one bolt of lightning, we could run the entire city of San Francisco for a year just upon the energy dispelled in a bolt of lightning that strikes over the plains of the United States. Friends, it is time to stop picking and choosing what we want to believe about God. We need to read His Word. We need to rejoice in an all-powerful God who is subsistence, needs nothing to exist, but who has given us life in Jesus Christ this morning. This is the perfect God that we serve as imperfect people in an imperfect world. And it's His perfect Holy Spirit that's making us more and more like Jesus each and every day. Third thing I want you to see this morning is He is the God of perfect peace. He is the God of perfect peace. This week, the United States took out a terrorist whose last name was Soleimani. I know that you've heard all about it. I know that you've been reading in the papers. I called a friend of mine who is an avowed a, a pacifist. He is a deeply committed Christian. And although he and I disagree on many things socially and theologically, I know he has a love for God and he believes the Bible is an inspired word of God and he believes in the coming of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church. And I could go on about his theological conservatism, but he is a deeply committed pacifist. And when we were talking, he said, I knew you would call me today. And he said, the first thing I want to say is if any man ever deserved to die, Soleimani deserved to die. And yet as I said to him, I'll say to you, if anybody deserved to die for our sins and trespasses, we deserve to die for our sins and trespasses. We err when we begin to think that we're better than others, even the most horrendous of people who take the lives of others. We do not err when we say they no longer deserve to live, but we do err when we commend ourselves and think that we are better. We will never know the peace of God as long as we reduce righteousness and holiness and the kind of growth and grace that Jesus is talking about to a fundamentalistic checkbox where we check all the boxes and if we do these things, then somehow or another we're pleasing to God. It's not works of righteousness. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that saves us. And though we tremble sometimes because we know that Iran feels obligated to strike back in some way. My daughter-in-law Rachel is in Washington, D.C. this week and Andrew, our oldest son, cautioned her about staying away from the national monuments because those are always on the terrorist list of places to hope to strike a symbolic blow. 
Although we live with that awareness about us, we also live and walk with a perfect peace. Christopher kissed his wife goodbye. We prayed over Rachel as she goes to Washington, D.C. For, for work this week. She works for the Assemblies of God Missions Department and as she's gone there for work this week, we pray over her and we live in perfect peace. But we'll also live in perfect peace as my friend Mark Holloway, whose daughter was at the Pentagon the day that the airplane was flown into it. And until Mark and, and Carol could hear from Victoria that evening, we were all on pins and needles on that, that bloody day in September. But there was a perfect peace that ruled her mother and father and rules our hearts. Friends, I don't care what trouble. As Andre Crouch used to sing, I don't care what you may be going through but through it all, the God of perfect peace will keep you and sustain you and give you the peace of God that passes understanding. And some of you in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about from your experiences because of the danger of you faced in life or the danger someone you love faces in life. The Bible says this, read it out loud with me, Isaiah 26 and verse 3 this morning. Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed upon you. Let's read it again. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed upon you. Don't raise your hand. But if you're not peaceful this morning, if your heart is troubled, if you're anxious, you're worried, maybe about your health, Maybe about something that's going on in your life. This past year, the doctor saw something. As you know, I've shared with you before. Twice a year, I go in for tests where they look for tumors and things of that nature. And this year, they found a swelling. They found something that alarmed them. And I had to go back in. And, and uh, we just had a perfect peace. I had the staff praying with me. I had my prayer partners praying with me. I had a perfect peace. We went on vacation. I enjoyed. I didn't tell my children. I didn't tell our family. We just had a perfect peace. I had my prayer partners praying with me. I had, I had people here praying with me. And as we went on vacation, finally the day came when the call would come. And I was between Savannah, Georgia and Macon, Georgia. And the phone rang. And when I saw it was the doctor's office, I grabbed it immediately. And I said, hello. And they said, good news. You're cancer free. There is no tumor there. I'm going to tell you, I had perfect peace, but then I had shouting peace right after that. <laughs> Hallelujah! You say, what did you do, Pastor? We pulled off at a Zaxby's fried chicken and got some fried chicken to celebrate it. <laughs> Come on, victory! Our God is a good God and He keeps us in perfect peace. If, if, if. Say that word with me. Yes. Look at your neighbor and say, did you get that? Yes. Say Yes. That's a good. If our thoughts are fixed on God. Put that back up there for me, please. If our thoughts are fixed on God. If your thoughts are fixed on your personal success, your personal reputation, your fame, your investments, even your family you can make an idol, your marriage, But if our thoughts are fixed on Him, it's why every single year I always encourage you, read your Bible through this year. Read your Bible through from Genesis to Revelation. 
Don't try to underline it when you're doing that reading in the morning. Don't try to do a lot of comments. If something stands out to you, just kind of, just maybe just highlight that real quick and come back to it later today. But have a discipline where you come to before the Lord and say, God, I want to see Jesus in Genesis. I want to see Jesus in Exodus. I want to see Jesus in Revelation. Lord, I want to see if there's some scriptural commandment for me to obey, some scriptural promise I need to lay hold of, Lord. I want to see you and meet you in the Word. As Mark Thompson said to you this morning, God does speak. God does talk. And the more you feed upon His Word, the more you read His Word, the more you fix your thoughts upon Him, the more you will hear the voice of the Lord. I am not a mystical man. I have tried to make that clear. Some people, it sounds like God tells them what socks to put on in the morning. That's not a big choice for me. It's either black or blue or brown. Black, blue, or brown. Some people say God tells them what pants to put on. That's not a choice for me. It's either khakis or navy blue dress pants or black dress pants. Becky says, I'm the most boring dresser in the world. I have white shirts, yellow shirts, blue shirts, and a few whatever plaid shirts they buy me to make me wear on vacation. I mean, it's just not difficult. Life should be simple, amen? Life should be simple. And yet in those challenging times where our peace could be robbed or our peace could be taken away, the people that experience the greatest peace are not the people who say they're Christians and sit on the pews and yet live like atheists. They are the people that come and get on their knee in the morning and just say, Father, I'm coming to Your Word. And before I put a slice of bread in my tummy, Lord, I want the bread of life. I want the Word of God. I want my thoughts fixed upon You, Lord. And as you read His Word, suddenly you become aware in the grasp of the whole as you read year after year after year. And look at me, young folks. Look at me, young married couples. The things you're facing now are peanuts compared to the things you will face in the future. The things you're facing now, holding that baby you want to grow up to serve Jesus, will be peanuts compared to the things that you face when that baby is in high school, when that baby is in university, when that baby is trying to build a home and start a marriage, when that baby has a sick baby that's born to them, and they come to you with questions because they're looking to you as an elder, and they're looking to you to give them wisdom, or they come to you when a spouse has left them, or deserted them, or a spouse has committed adultery, and they come to you. You never, 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 never grow too old to listen and heed the Word of God. I find myself needing more grace from Jesus today at 64 than I ever needed at 21 when Becky and I began our lives together. It's why I ask you, I beg you, read your Bibles daily. Use the five-day-a-week Bible reading plan that I use. That's why you have the weekend to catch up if you have to run, happen to run late or happen to skip a morning. But it's kind of a chronological view, not totally chronological, but kind of a chronological view of the Bible. I'll be happy to send it to you if you just write it on a card this morning at the end of the service. Just say, be sure I have your email and I'll send it to you. But a five-day-a-week Bible reading program, I love it. I use it every day because it helps me to hear from the Lord. 
It's why I encourage you and we as a church have a week of prayer because we want you to establish a habit of prayer in your life. So this week, I, I hope that you will take these cards when we receive the offering later in the service. And if you will commit to praying at least 10 minutes a day with me for Woodland Church this week, for our mission, for our ministries, for our missionaries, for our pastors, for our small groups, if you will pray with us for our, our social ministries that we do in the community, if you would pray, just pray for the church. And if you would pray for us as pastors. I can always tell when people are praying with me. I can always tell on a Sunday morning service when people have prayed. There's a sense of power and freedom and anointing. There's a different sense when people have been busy and they come in and you can tell there's not been an atmosphere of praise and an atmosphere of worship that comes. And you see, sometimes it's like, it's like a puppy trying to pull a freight train. But when you and I are praying together, there is nothing impossible. When your faith and your faith and your faith and your faith, when our faith is put together, we pull together, the impossible becomes possible in Jesus' name. Somebody give him a hand of praise this morning. It's the reason I always tell you, tithe. If you want the blessings of God upon your finances, you are not, look at me, look right here. You can quote me on this. You are not smarter than God. You are not smarter than God. And don't be there so cocky going, well, the New Testament doesn't say we have to tithe. It was Jesus that said we should tithe even on the smallest of things that we should get. For the New Testament Christian, look at me, listen to this. I don't get a raise for this. The staff does This is not about that. This is about people like Mark and Casey. This is about people in our community. The New Testament says that you and I have been given so much more than the Old Testament saints were given. If tithing was the floor for them, if tithing was the floor to them, how much more is tithing the floor for you and me? Tithing is not the ceiling. Tithing is the beginning place. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me in tithes and offerings, the Bible says. That's why your finances are being devoured. That's why your life is not reaching the potential. You are not smarter than God. I say that with love, not with anger, but I say that because I know the devil is robbing some of you of your prosperity because you have believed a lie from the devil. And by the way, if you feel manipulated right now, don't give. If you feel like I'm pressuring you, don't give. You should only give because you're a cheerful giver. You should only give because you love God and you cheerfully want to give the Lord. So if you feel pressured, if you feel condemned, don't give. I'm not begging you for money. I'm not begging you for anything. I'm telling you what the word of the Lord says. God says, if you will put me first, I will open the windows of heaven upon you and give you a blessing that you cannot begin to contain. All things are possible with God this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All things are possible. People who sit around saying, I can't. It's the people that say, I can't, that give in to the imperfections. It's the people who say, I'm going to try. I'm going to grow in grace that experience the power of God. And at the end of this service, when we ask you to come down and pray, don't just take the coming to prayer and say, oh, that's for those that are sick. If you have a need in your life, if it's emotional, if it's financial, if you have need for guidance and direction, come down to the front. If you're sick, we want to anoint you with oil because the Bible tells us that we should anoint you with oil and pray the power for prayer, for the fervent righteous prayer of righteous people avail much. God is the God of perfect power and the God of perfect peace. I promise you, you won't leave this altar like you came 
in Jesus' name. You won't leave bound. You won't believe oppressed. You won't leave tormented. You won't leave condemned to die because of a sickness. The Lord God is dwelling among us and He is perfect not only in peace and love and power, He is perfect in His healing in our lives as well. Now give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. I'm hearing Becky say in my ear, dial it down, dial it down. God created this perfect world, His creation. I want you to read this next verse with me because I think, it's, I think we skip it sometimes just not really reading it like it should be read. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. Now just stop for that for a moment. When the cool evenings were blow, cool evening winds were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. I have walked the sanctuary since I've got back and walked these pews and I asked the prayer team last night as we prayed in our Saturday prayer service, don't just lay your hands upon these pews thoughtlessly. But I'm praying, Lord, pass this way. Pass this way. The church is the new creation of God. You and I are new creations. And this morning, don't let sin cause you to hide from God. Don't let frustration with your weaknesses cause you to hide from God. If you sense the voice of the Lord speaking to you this morning, don't cover up your sin and try to hide from the Lord because God is in this place and He's walking in our midst and He comes with the power to forgive. He comes with the power to heal. He comes with the power of peace. So don't run and hide from God, but run to Jesus. Run to Calvary this morning and let God do His perfect work in your life. Can we say thank you Jesus for that? I mean, that's what he wants to do, is to bless you. Becky loves gardens. This summer I walked with her in a garden and she'd stop and she'd identify the flowers and she'd tell me how they, how they grow or whatever. And I just took all kinds of pictures of Becky in the garden. My, my favorite picture is she sat down with a sketchbook and she's sketching out one of the gardens that she wants to try and recreate at the house. And it's my favorite picture. I look at it so often. I put it on my phone and my iPad for a while and people would say, oh, the garden is beautiful. And I'd say to them, what's beautiful about that garden is not the flowers, it's my wife. It's my wife. No, I'm not good for now moment. I want you to listen. What's beautiful, what's beautiful about this world is not the Rockies and it's not the rivers because when God created that, He said it was good. But when God put you and I in the picture, He said it was very good. What God loves about this world is not rocks and trees. It's people like you. And me. That's the power of this verse. They heard the Lord walking in the garden. Say, Pastor, what happened? What happened? Well, first, let's go back to what the Bible tells us. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. 
for everyone's sins. I bet there's some of you in here like me, you've said in times past, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a long talk with Adam. Becky has said before, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a long talk with Eve. I realize how stupid those words are now. I didn't say Becky was stupid. My words were stupid. Becky's words were her words. I am in so much trouble. Because Romans 3.23 says, read it with me. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone. And we all fall short. It's why I'm glad as an imperfect man, living in an imperfect world, pastoring in an imperfect church, and in an imperfect community, I serve a perfect God who put blood on the floor, His blood, to save me from my sins and that I might grow in grace daily. That's why I'm so in love with Him. So what should I do? Let's go back then to Matthew 5, 48. Be ye therefore perfect, teleos. Fulfill the purpose. When you fill out this card, you fulfill the purpose for which this card was created for. To communicate with us. If you have a prayer request, if you, if you have a suggestion, it's for communication. This card without communication is basically worthless. Matter of fact, I picked this one up off the floor. Somebody dropped it coming in this morning. It's worthless. It's dated, so it's worthless after today. But if you put something on this card, it becomes valuable. Are you listening to me? It becomes valuable. And when Christ's blood is applied to your life and God's Spirit moves into your heart, you become priceless. You become a son or daughter of God. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? Wow. Wow. So what should I do? Well, first of all, change your mind. Follow Christ. That's what repentance means, is to change your mind and to follow. Just change. If you're not a Christian, or, or, and look at me, because I know most of you are Christians, but, but listen to me. If in some instance, as a Christian, you haven't been following Christ, then you need to change your mind and follow Christ. The fact that you haven't had an affair or committed adultery doesn't mean you're following Christ. If you're leering at other women or lusting, you're not following Christ. You're not even loving your wife. When a woman looks at me in pain because of her husband's pornography and says, I never know if he's making love to me or making love to an image in his mind. You're not following Christ. And if you haven't murdered anybody, you're not following Christ if you're gossiping about people, if you're revealing their weaknesses. 
If you're always trying to overcome their weaknesses to make you feel better about yourself. You remember how Ham exposed his father's nakedness when Noah got drunk? Ham revealed what an ungrateful man, especially after being delivered from the flood. Ham was homeschooled on an ark. Ham was saved from the destruction that came. Ham was saved. God chose Ham as one of the three sons of Noah for you and I to arrive at this place today. And yet somehow or another in his competitiveness, Ham chose to uncover the nakedness. And his brothers, Shem and Japheth, backed in and refused to look upon their father's shame. Refusing to look upon his shame, they covered it. God doesn't want your shame. God doesn't want your blame. God wants you to repent and change your mind. You're not becoming a new creation by secretly hiding in shame. You're not growing in grace by blaming others. You grow in grace by changing your mind and following Jesus. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly, certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Isn't that cool? I'm a friend of God. That's not blasphemous. That's not presumptuous. I'm not perfect. But I am teleos. You're not perfect, but you are teleos. You are growing in grace. We are friends of God. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. And then finally, receive daily grace from Christ. It's not a lot that Becky and I can look back upon and say, we really did good here. We really did good. Sometimes we look back with too critical an eye, I think, but we look at our children. The fact that we had a family devotion every night, except for Wednesday night because of church and Sunday night because we were in church. We did good, Becky. Our kids grew in grace and we have memories of them doing dramas and quoting not only scriptures, but quoting the Apostles' Creed and flooding them with books, stuff that we're giving to them now that they're finally taken out of the house. If you've never done a family devotion, this is time to start. Help your kids grow in grace. Don't make it long. Don't make it boring. If they're just babies, five minutes or less. When they're in grade school, seven or eight minutes. High school, never more than 10 minutes. I mean, 
Some of you, you've already checked on me a half a dozen times while I've been preaching this morning and you got to listen to the tape because you haven't been paying attention and you're a grown man or woman. Say on me. Don't be a hypocrite. Say on me if you checked out on me while I was preaching this morning. Yeah. Some of you are nodding going, I don't want to say anything. Here's a little book. This is a great, there's lots of good ones. I'll be happy to recommend them to you. David and the Never-Ending Kingdom. Here's this book about the story of Jesus all the way to Christmas and how he was not only son of God, but son of man, descended from the line of David. Anybody in here going to start a family devotion? You haven't been, you to have a family devotion? Could I see your hand? You have children? Garrett, Mark, will you take that to Garrett back there? Get a book. Read something like that with your children. So, I'm, I'm out of time. I'm done. If I were you, I would seek to grow more perfect in love. I would seek to grow more perfect in peace by being a peaceable person to live with. I would seek to grow more perfect in power. I would ask the Lord for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of power in my life. I would ask Him to pour out His Spirit upon me without measure so that when I come and I pray with people or I minister to people, I'm not standing in my own human wisdom. I'm not standing in my own human power. But I'm standing in the power and the grace of God. Can you say amen? Bow your heads with me. If you're not a Christian, then the place to start is just change your mind about Jesus and follow Jesus. Now, the fact that you believe in Him doesn't mean you've committed your life to Him because believe in English is the same way that perfect in English is. Believe in the Greek and the Hebrew language means that I follow Jesus. See, even the devils believe in Jesus, but you know they don't follow Jesus. So if you're willing to repent, change your mind to follow Jesus, then I want you to pray this prayer with me. You can just pray it quietly to the Lord, sincerely, or maybe even something similar to it. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for spilling your blood for me. You love me in my sins. You love me in my ungratefulness. You love me while I was still your enemy. I want the confidence that comes from your dwelling and living in my heart by faith. I don't understand it all yet, but I want to be a passionate follower of you. So as much as I know how, I give you my heart, my mind, and my life. Be the master of everything in my life. In your precious name I pray. And no one's looking around. But it helps us when we know that even the angels in heaven are rejoicing and God rejoices in your decision to follow Christ. And God says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. I don't ever want you to be ashamed of Jesus. You don't have to wear your religion on your sleeve. You don't have to
carry a big 50-pound Bible around, but never be ashamed of Jesus. Be willing to talk about Jesus. Be willing to talk to Jesus. But if you committed your life to Christ this morning, would you hold up your hand just so I can be praying for you this week and, and you've just given your first witness saying, I'm committing my life to Jesus. No one looking around but just me. God bless you. You can put your hand down. God bless you. You can put your hand down. Someone else said, Pastor, I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ today. Is there anyone else? Well, let's give this dear man and dear woman who've become our brother and sister in Christ today. Let's give God a hand of praise and joy for them. Would you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.